Welcome to Creekside Chats with successful real estate investors, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, promoting prosperity and harmony to help you flourish in all areas of life. Join in as we explore the motivations and goals of real estate investors and how their ability to invest abundantly has provided them with the time and freedom to contribute to the world in a creative and thoughtful way. Now, please welcome your host, Dr. Allen. Hello, enlightened investors. Dr. Allen here with Jared Strum. Jared's inspirational story takes us from maintenance man to holding over $30 million in real estate assets in just 15 years. Welcome, Jared. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking and just knowing your show. Um, I like that you you approach it from not only just the business side, but the personal side. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to know you, Jared. Uh, fascinating story. People in this industry start from all different uh, points and perspectives. I think you're the first one who started as a maintenance technician. Tell us a little bit about how uh, this all began for you. I mean, not just the real estate investing, but how did you become a maintenance technician? Where did your life really begin and start? Life begin and start. Okay. Um, Well, I guess hitting on that maintenance technician part of the question is uh, I was 16 when I became a maintenance technician, just uh, in high school. Um, My brother had gotten a job with um, a local landlord that owned a bunch of single family houses and some small multifamily and uh, was doing things like eviction set outs, just carrying garbage and putting it on the curb. And um, so that was how I made an introduction to the local landlord who then brought me on to start doing things like hang blinds, carry out trash, cut the grass. And every time he asked me, do you know how to do X, Y, or Z? I would just say yes. And then um, learn. And go to YouTube and figure it out, huh? Yeah, you just figure it out. And I do have a knack. I'm mechanically inclined and uh, consider myself a problem solver. And so over the years, I just... I uh, was fortunate that he gave me the opportunity to learn by trial and error uh, through you know, him paying me to do so and uh, used that experience to then go start a construction company with my brother where we did uh, kitchens, bathrooms, additions for family and friends, which then grew through word of mouth and we were doing high-end remodels for homeowners. Uh, and then when the real estate market tanked, we kind of looked around and said, Look out! Look at all these houses that are extremely inexpensive. Why don't we use our the little bit of money that we had saved up and our skill set in construction to buy, renovate? And fortunately, at the time, we did we weren't interested in flipping. We were interested in renting, so we bought, renovated, and rented, and just kind of rolled that uh, process uh, snowball style until it escalated to the point where we were buying. Uh, single family houses to small multifamilies to a little bit larger to, you know, 40 units to a hundred unit apartment complex and just have rolled that equity forward, essentially doing the same exact thing that we've always done is buy something that needs some love and use our background in uh, construction to fix it up. And it's a much different business today than it was uh, back when we were 18 to 20 years old, but uh, it's, it's still the same concept. I like that. Uh, still uh, the same concept, uh, a tried and true uh, method. And you started that method small and have, and have grown that uh, method. Uh, let's go back even further than 16 years old. Uh, tell us a little bit about 
a way to get, uh, do this is actually think about a formative experience in, in your childhood uh, that actually led you to that point at 16 years old where you could actually take on that much responsibility. Well, my upbringing was great. You know, I had um, about as perfect as a childhood as you could ask for. My parents are great, extremely supportive uh, in just who I was. So not, not trying to mold me into what they believed should exist, me or my brother. So this, I'm speaking for both of us, but um, just very supportive. Um, I was not a good student uh, from a formal education standpoint, but uh, so that was a challenge for my parents and even my brother was as well, but they did support us on what mm -hmm. interested us. So I grew up next to woods and built tree houses. And uh, I was fortunate that my high school had a woodworking class, which gave me something to look forward to in school. Cause otherwise mm -hmm. academically, I wasn't a great student. Um, and so the support from my parents led me to be able to uh, have successes where maybe the standard path wouldn't have led me to. So mm -hmm. they, they really supported that. That's interesting. Um, so your brother got the job uh, to starting start with. How, how much older is he than you? He's uh, two and a half, about three years older than me. Oh, okay. So he got you started in that and you already had a, an interest in woodworking and, and uh, mechanics and things like that. And so that was kind of a natural uh, progression there, I guess, sort of, kind of. Uh, carrying out trash and uh, what have you is not particularly glamorous and, <laughs> and doesn't require a lot of mechanical or even woodworking skills there. Uh, but you did it. What was the draw there for you? Was uh, it just money or, or, or did you see opportunity in that? I think in the beginning it was money. I mean, I, I kind of believe that you you have these hierarchy of needs and in the beginning it was just i needed to make some money so i was 16 years old my parents while they were very supportive in helping me become a man um, they they also put a lot of, of responsibility on myself and my brother at a young age to to become men and and part of that was like you know, we are not buying you a car, you buy your own car, you know, you buy your own things. If you want, we will give you the the minimum. If you want a sneaker, we pay $10. If you want anything above that, you pay the rest. Um, that was the type of mindset. And so I would say what got me started in that was it was a job that made me some money. And then uh, I was able to do it and built on it and built a skill set and, and then really understood came to learn to really like it and understand it and, and enjoy it. Well, it sounds like a very uh, smooth and, uh, and well thought out uh, progression, but I'm sure there were a lot of whys in the road. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about uh, a major fork in the road where you had to make some um, major decisions to go one way or the other. Um, so, a fork in the road. It wasn't really a decision on one way or the other. At in in the moment, it didn't feel like a big decision. But looking back, I see um, the decision to either be an entrepreneur, be self-employed, um, and build a company relative to take the more standard um, path that the majority take of formal education, go get a W two job, and put money into a 401k and work for 30 years and, until you can retire. Uh, 
I just never was really interested in that. So I would say even at 18 years old, the why in the road of which way do I want to go? Uh, I made the decision that I didn't want to take that. I would prefer to be self-employed and, and build my own business and build wealth through owning assets. Where did you learn that? Uh, are your parents entrepreneurs? Uh, do you, did your parents have that uh, sophisticated understanding of finance and money? Or where did you pick that up at, at such an early age? Uh, so no, no one in my family, uh, immediate or uh, secondary, is entrepreneurial. Um, mm. So I'm not really sure. I think it's part of it, uh, not so much the sophistication, but the drive to become an entrepreneur is because myself and my brother both weren't great students. Uh, myself, I'm dyslexic, so it's just kind of naturally not great at school, um, reading and writing comprehension and what so much of standard education is hinged around just didn't mold to me well. So I had to come up with an alternative. And so just naturally not fitting the mold. I think that just continued into adulthood and the professional career. I naturally don't fit into the W2 employee role. Um, but no, my parents were not entrepreneurs. No one in my family were, but like I said, they always supported us in whatever it was that made us happy and gave us drive. Um, and so, you know, I, they would, help get me basic tools in the beginning when I was doing woodworking in our garage and things like that. Um, my parents understand finance, but they took the more standard route of a corporate job for 30 years, 401k standard retirement. Um, the sophistication of finance and, and I guess the, the desire to build wealth through owning assets and owning a business came through just exploring the idea truly on the internet and seeing the power of it through one rental house at a time. And then saying, oh, this, this worked, let's try that again, or let's try this at a higher scale. And um, it's been a very natural, organic growth. So trial and error, work our way through, see what works and build on it. And, yeah. and that's really where it came from. Well, I can relate to a lot of what you said because I'm quite dyslexic uh, myself. And my high school counselor thought that I should go into a technical field. And so he discouraged me from going to college. For some reason or other, that just wasn't the route that I wanted to go. And so, I don't know, I often say, uh, I often tell this to my students that this story that my high school counselor wanted me to go a technical route and not go to college, and yet now I have a PhD. So uh, it's all uh, about really deciding, I guess, what you want to do. Even at that, though, my trajectory has not been the, the consistent route that yours seems to have been. It's been interrupted in all kinds of different ways and means and forms here. So talk to us. I mean, I'm sure even though you, 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 you had a pretty smooth trajectory from uh, humble beginnings uh, in uh, one rental house and that worked, and so you just expanded that, I'm sure even you have had uh, disappointments and setbacks. And anyone who is successful has had to learn to deal with disappointments and setbacks. So tell us about uh, a disappointment and setback. Um, are you thinking more professionally or personally, or do you have any guidance on what you're thinking there? What pops into your mind? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? 
Um, well, I, I just, I think it's the perception of how you view setbacks. Like I just, I'm not great at viewing them as a, a negative. It's just uh, something that you pivot from. So it's a learning experience that you grow from and move forward. I will say like something that's been a challenge that has taught me a lot is I'm someone who likes to solve problems. I like to be in control. I like to, to um, have my hand in making something happen. And um, just as life progressed, and this is definitely more on the personal side than the uh, business side is I started a family. And one of the challenges that we've come across is just, um, fertility issues and, and, and having a family and making that happen. And that has removed complete control. Um, like I have no control of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so the way I grew from it was having to learn to simply support, you know, my, my wife and myself and in our venture through that um, without having any control of it. So definitely a, a unique challenge that I've gone through and a big learning experience because I'm so just entrepreneurial, driven, driven work ethic. That's kind of been who I am and, and I have no control over this. Um, and so it's been a, a, definitely a learning experience and obstacle personally that has helped me a lot. So tell us about that, uh, coming to that realization that this is out of my control. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the feelings surrounding that. Probably a, an emotional roller coaster that you and your wife have had to go through uh, in looking at this particular uh, particular circumstances. Mm. Yeah, I mean it is an emotional roller coaster, and I'm very happy to say, I'll share that. You know, I I do have a daughter; she's uh, two and uh, about to be three, and then I have a son on the way. So. Um, we we have had a success in that but the trials to get to those points has, has been difficult and uh it's just letting go of the control because you know you don't have any and then just uh, approaching it with just straight empathy uh for for the situation as well as my wife um because mm -hmm. while we're going through it together we're going through it uh differently and so um that has been, you know, been able to take those life lessons and um, deploy them into other facets of my life, even business, you know, so mm -hmm. I think I have a, I think that has given me a perspective, but I also have been very grateful to have a unique perspective from my company is where, uh, you know, I have thousands of residents that live under the properties that we own now in I do that by raising money from wealthy individuals to invest in them. Mm -hmm. And that, that perspective is unique because on, on a daily basis, I'll talk to someone who has uh, financial resources, just uh, almost to an infinite amount. And then the same day I'll talk to someone who is, you know, afraid because they have a flat tire on their car and they can't afford to fix it, but we're, mm -hmm. you know, trying to clean up uh, the apartment community and flat tires. And so, the empathy and lack of control of be able to control the resident's financial situation, but have empathy for their financial situation is the same thing as I've learned to go through with the uh, lack of control that I have over the um, fertility challenges. And so that it's hard to draw those connections, but it's a, it's an ability to be understanding and an ability to be empathetic um, for situations that even are out of your control.
So I don't know if, if that if that's where you wanted me to take that or if that made sense, but um, hopefully it did. Yeah, it makes perfect uh, sense there. And it, uh, I thank you for sharing that. It's a, an interesting analogy uh, at how you've taken a personal life experience and using that uh, in your business to on the surface, it's not going to necessarily add to your bottom line, but it is, it is certainly enriching uh, your business. Uh, and making it a a much more human uh, uh, business and much more uh, approachable uh, business. Um, I'm I'm sure that I mean even as a business person, you you can be empathetic with uh, renters' dilemmas, but you have to be a business person, and you you can't make your mortgages without collecting rent. And so, even being empathetic. Uh, you still have to uh, to go out there and collect that rent. Talk to us a little bit about uh, those uh, those experiences. The experiences of running the business and the challenges. The cha- the challenges of being empathetic and understanding, and yet, uh, even in dire circumstances and situations, you still have to collect that rent, even though empathically you may not want to. Mm-hmm. Well, in all of our leasing offices and all of our properties on the wall, there's a, a, a call to mission statement hanging up that says, we deliver the feeling of home. So not necessarily homes, like, so we, we pr- primarily buy like what we would label as C and B class apartments. So I'm in Ohio, rents are 600 to $1,000. So in that space, a lot of people view it as like, we deliver homes, like a place to live. Where do you stay? but instead we've shifted it to, we deliver the feeling of home. And that's like belonging, security, um, respect. And so on every, every wall in all of our leasing offices, we're creating a company culture of doing that, which I would say aligns very well with empathy. Um, but yes, we are running a business. And so how can you balance that? And I, and I push a lot of that on our staff of just being great people and navigating those difficult situations of we, we are running a business for profit and, and how do you do it? But you don't do it by just um, so, so many companies just letter on the door, turn, don't talk to them, uh, you know, to a resident where even, even the, the terminology you'll notice, like I, we as a company don't use the term tenant, we use the word resident. And so it's just small things like that have a big impact on bottom line because ultimately tenants or residents are customers and customers um, patronize or service businesses that they feel welcomed at and respected at. And there's no difference between selling a cell phone or selling a, a, or an apartment. Customer service is customer service, but um, the bottom line is significantly impacted because people people choose to figure out solutions to paying rent and things like that when they feel respected. Uh, even through the, you know, the pandemic that we're going in, uh, as a company, we halted all late fees, we halted all evictions, um, and yet our collection stayed very, very, very strong. And part of that was because we shifted the mindset from our leasing staff to more of social work. How can we get these people help? How can we assist them financially? Um, and we went to work on uh, aiding them to do that. And so that would be a specific example of empathy rather than just say, 
too bad I have a mortgage to pay and I'm in the pandemic too. We put together a list of resources, help people file for aid, things like that. And, uh, deployed that empathy to really impact the bottom line because uh, we're doing doing really, really well through the pandemic despite its challenges. Wonderful uh, example there. Uh, I really, uh, I, I mean, you have a perfect uh, life example of putting things uh, together uh, that, uh, that makes sense from uh, the beginning of your career. You just uh, stepped it up uh, one step further. Uh, and then one step further, and then one step further, and then you come to this uh, COVID uh, dilemma, and you you took those same uh, approaches, and you just looked at it step by step by step, and figured out a way and a means to uh, to forego evictions, to forego late payments, and uh, yet assist your uh, tenants in or your residents, I'm sorry, in helping, uh, in helping them to actually make those rental payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fascinating story there. Well, we're coming to uh, the end of our time uh, together, uh, Jared. So tell our viewers and listeners uh, how it is that they can connect with you. A uh, great way would be just through our website. Uh, company's name is SNS. That's three letters like Sam, Nancy, Sam, Capital Group.com. Or you can email me. My name is spelled out Jared, J E R E D, at SNS Capital Group.com. So through the website or directly through my email, I'd be happy to talk. Or I, l- I love real estate. I love the game of it. I love the challenges and the growth. And uh, anybody who else is either ahead of me or behind me. I like to share stories and, and help them as well. So what does SNN stand for? It's the three letters I'm, of the last name of uh, the uh, partners. So there's myself, um, Sturm is my last name, and then my partner, uh, his last name is Nelson, and then my brother, who's oh, still yes. my business partner, is Sturm. So, Sturm. Oh, okay. yeah. so me and my brother um, have a lot of strengths, and then um, but we we brought on another partner about four or five years ago now who has a, a higher level of understanding of raising capital, um, the kind of back end of the business. Um, and he's been great to work with and built the company and helped us scale it to a, a level that our business acclimate wouldn't have taken it to. So like we're great at construction, but naturally I'm just a blue collar uh, construction worker who figured out how to leverage some money and, and scale. And we added Coleman, the, the N of s um, to help take it to the next level. Uh, you're much more than a maintenance man. <laughs> and you've got some pretty amazing skills of your own there. But yeah, that was a smart move. And, and you've just been, you've been able to, to do those smart moves throughout your career there. Uh, very, very interesting story, uh, Jared. And I do appreciate you uh, taking the time today to share that story with us. And I find it fascinating and inspirational. And I'm sure our viewers and listeners will as well. Um, This isn't a how-to program, uh, but it is a program to introduce uh, my guests uh, to others. Uh, so that they can know that there are actual real people uh, behind this business.
they can connect with you to learn the know-how mm -hmm. about it. So thank you, Jared, uh, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. I'd be happy to come back and talk more anytime. That's wonderful. I'd be delighted to have you back. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Creekside Chats with Successful Real Estate Investors, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital. For more information, as well as access to our free ebook on enhancing your well-being through real estate investing, be sure to connect with us at steedtalker.com. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine and enhance the humane treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. Connect with us at steedtalker.com.